And so this morning, we are in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. So if you will, stand in the honor of the Word of God. We stand in honor because we believe it is the living and active Word of God. And that really, the only significant thing you will hear this morning will be out of this. Starting in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not the same guy that wrote the book. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. God, direct us as we dive into your word this morning to hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Grab your seat. So some of the things that we saw out of last week kind of come back into this week. Uh, we saw last week that Jesus is the light, and we see that come. It says that he is the true light. But out of nowhere, we're introduced to John the Baptist, not the Apostle John that, that wrote this, but John the Baptist. It does seem like it's a little bit out of nowhere because we're talking about, it, like I said, John's written very differently than the other Gospels. And so... He doesn't really hit the baptism of Jesus. He doesn't hit some of those other things. And it feels a little bit out of place when we're talking about that the, the Word was God, the Word was with God, the Word created the world. He was there before it all, preexistence. We're going into all that. We're going into Trinity. We're going into preexistence. We're going into all these things about who Jesus is. And then all of a sudden, and then there was a guy named John. And so it feels like it's out of, out of the middle of nowhere. But let's look at John the Baptist. So why do we bring up John now? I am convinced that he brings up John now because God, for in his wisdom and something that I don't understand, seems to, from the very beginning, make us his plan for getting his glory out. In the very beginning, Adam and Eve were created, and they were given the task of multiplying, being fruitful and multiplying, and, and, and filling the earth for God. And then they kind of screwed that up, and some things went downhill from there. But then even Jesus, when the Son of God comes in the flesh to the earth, what does he do before he even starts his ministry? His crazy cousin that lives in the woods and wears camel hair and eats locust comes out and, and declares his coming. I'm convinced that he does this because even from the very beginning, we were the instrument through which he wants to get his glory out. We are his witnesses. That's, that's our job. This isn't, that, this isn't because he's not capable of doing it, but this is how he wants it done. So understand that clearly, as a follower of Christ, that's your job. I hope you're doing it. I hope you're, I hope you're doing it, listen, not as a, because I'm a preacher and it's my job to tell you to do your job, I hope you're doing it because there's no greater joy in earth than doing what you were created for. We were created for this for His glory and our joy. 
See, those all go hand in hand is what we need to understand. So when we fulfill the purpose through, for which we were created, we receive glory. Well, he receives glory. We receive joy in his glory. In shining his glory and showing his glory, we receive joy. We get to be a part of that. Um, I, I came across a story about a guy who was in a dungeon. I don't know why he was in a dungeon. I just know that he was in a dungeon, and he was completely in the dark, and he was starting to kind of lose his mind. Um, as you're in the complete dark, it, it really eventually starts to do something to you, right? And, and he's starting to lose it a little bit, and then he feels the button on his coat had started to fall off, and, and he couldn't find it. And so he spends about 10 minutes just kind of palming around the whole dungeon cell that he's in and, and, and finally finds the button. And then when he finds it, he realizes something. For, for just a quick moment, he had a purpose other than just sitting in the dark. And, and it brought him some level of sanity to have something to do, some reason to, to, to live. And, and so he would spend his days finding his button, flicking it somewhere in the cell, palming around, trying to find the button. And that's what kept him sane. It's what kept his mind sharp. It's what kept him from going crazy in the dark until one day he flipped the button up and then he never heard it drop. And man, it really freaked him out. He thought, has there been somebody in here the whole time and they just caught that button with their hand? And so he's scared to death and he literally goes crazy. He just goes mad, loses it, and when they finally come in and get him out of there, he's, he's, he's lost it. He's, he's just gone bananas. And they see a button sitting in a cobweb and have no idea why it's there. Living in the darkness will drive you mad. And there's people all over this world, all around us in this neighborhood, who are living in darkness. And it's our job to point them to the light. That's what John was sent for. John was sent by God. Luke seven twenty eight. Jesus has some interesting thing to tell us about John. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He was sent from God and highly revered by God. He had the Holy Spirit in him when he was even in the womb. I mean, talk about being in tune with the Holy Spirit. John was kind of crazy, though. We're not going to go full into John the Baptist this morning because he comes up again uh, in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, but I just want to introduce this idea of who John is and why we need to look at him. In verse 7, we see that he is a witness to the light. If we read verse 7 again, we see he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Verse 8, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, this is key because what you got to understand is, so John started his preaching ministry before Jesus did. That's the way Jesus wanted it to happen because he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. Jesus could snap his fingers and make people follow him, but he wants us to get to be a part of that story. And so he sends John out, and so John's this crazy guy that lives in the woods and yells at people to repent. A one one word sermon, repent. And he was not very nice to religious people, but he started to develop a following. 
And people thought that he might be the Messiah, the sent one. And, and so people started to follow him. And as a matter of fact, we see, we're not going to go into this morning. We may look at it in a few weeks. But if you look in Acts chapter 20, you'll see that people were still following John and not Jesus, which is crazy because all John did was point people to Jesus. And when they would come to him and ask him, are you the Messiah? He would say, no, I am not. Now think about it for a second. His life would have ended a lot different if he just would have said yes, wouldn't it? I mean, if he'd have said yes, they would have tried to make him king. They would have dressed him in amazing camel hair and given him the best locust and honey that there is to eat. But he didn't say yes. He always pointed to Jesus. As a matter of fact, when John is writing this around 80 AD, there's still a sect of people that are following John the Baptist, which is why he's very clear here. He is not the light. He bears witness to the light. In other words, John is like a reflection, like the moon. You, you know, I'm sure you know this, but the moon doesn't actually emit any light. There is no light coming from the moon. When you see the moon shining in the night sky, it's reflecting the sun. That's the light that you see coming off the moon. One, that's how bright the sun is, that it's shining on a rock halfway around the world, And that rock looks like it's shining on us. And so when you're in the moonlight, you're actually in the sunlight. John is very much the same thing, John the Baptist. He is just attempting to reflect the light of Jesus into the world, which is also our job. As we see what John's job is here, we need to see that it's also our job. And the purpose of the book, it is he has sent that all might believe through John the Baptist, not in John the Baptist, but through John the Baptist. So if that's who John the Baptist is, let's see what this, this, this passage tells us about who Jesus is. Because one of the things that's clear as you go through the gospel according to John is that his whole point is to point to Jesus. Uh, it's why he doesn't do genealogies in the beginning. It's why he doesn't uh, even do the nativity story in the beginning. John starts out from the gate trying to tell you who Jesus is. And so when you're reading the gospel according to John, you need to always read it through the lens, asking the question, what does this tell me about who Jesus is? That's always the question you need to ask when studying the gospel according to John. We see again that Jesus is the creator of the world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. Now, this is amazing. The king of the universe, the creator of the universe, one, humbles humbles himself so much that he has to come into human form. We need to understand, like we talked about earlier, that's a big deal. It's a big deal to go from sitting on the throne, metaphorically, to being the, the king of the universe, to having angels worshiping you, to being in heaven, to being in perfection, where there is no sin, there is no sorrow, and then all of a sudden... You're a Jewish carpenter in the Middle East, and people don't understand you. How frustrating must it be? Uh, Most of my family comes from Arkansas, and uh, I'm the only blood in the bloodline that doesn't come from Arkansas and uh, Louisiana. And uh, and so, but the thing the thing that's key about Arkansas, you got to understand, is that's where Walmart comes from. 
All right. And Sam Walton, Sam Walton, from everything I've been told, because everybody in Arkansas thinks Sam Walton's the greatest guy that ever lived. Uh, Sam Walton, when he started it, what, what started it with, you know, with great customer service in mind. Man, wish he was still alive. Uh, you know, and he started it with all these, but he would, in plain clothes, he would go to Walmart and walk around in plain clothes and just walk around and observe. I mean, this is the guy who started Walmart. And he would walk around, and he would sometimes give people raises. He would sometimes fire people. Uh, and they'd be like, who are you? Well, I'm Sam Walton. So, yes, I can fire you. He would walk around, but they didn't know who he was so often when he walked around. And I imagine a little bit he enjoyed that because he got to see who they really were. But also imagine sometimes it was frustrating for him because he would go, man, if you just knew who I was, you would act a lot different. Imagine how frustrating it's got to be for Jesus. Angels worshiping him, and now people don't even understand him. I mean, even his disciples who walked with him for three years really struggled to really get who he was, didn't they? It didn't seem like they really, towards the end, and we, get to, we love to make fun of that, but we're not any better. We're not any better. I think so often we struggle to, to realize what this thing is really about. This thing is life-changing, life-altering. You cannot encounter the true light, Jesus Christ, and leave the same. You can't. I mean, it's, you can't. You can't tell me that you're a follower of Christ because you prayed a prayer and then nothing in your life has transformed. Because I'm just not convinced that you can encounter the Jesus I've encountered and leave the same. I'm just not convinced that you can. Jesus is the creator of the world, yet they didn't know him. He is the true light. We see in verse 9, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. When it talks about enlightening everyone, if you could go, we're not going to, you could go into Romans chapter 1 and see there's a difference between what's called general revelation and special or specific revelation. In other words, there's a general revelation of who God is that's given to us in creation. This is taught in Romans chapter 1. You can study that later. This idea that basically, if you, were, if you study all across history and all across the world, there's never been an entirely atheist culture. Do you get that? Now, many worship the wrong God, but all have the idea that there is a God. All of them. Throughout all of time, every tribe, every area, every culture has some idea that there's somebody, something larger, bigger, more important than us that created us or had some part in us. And maybe there's a lot of misunderstandings out there of who that is or what that looks like. There's a great conversation we see the Apostle Paul have with philosophers in in Greece on Mars Hill where he kind of uses their statues of all these gods and he uses the statue of the unknown God and he says, this is the true God and he points them to Jesus using their own culture. But they all have some idea of a God. We've never found some tribe living in the middle of nowhere that said there is no God. Now there are individuals and there are small segments of Western culture that don't believe in God and that is growing but as far as people and cultures as a large they all at large have some idea that there is something way bigger than us so Jesus enlightens all he is the true light he is also in whom we are to believe 
for our salvation. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let's talk about children of God for a minute. Verse 13. As children of God, he tells us, um, gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is key. Let's read Romans 8, 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now this is a beautiful passage. I've hit a little bit of this before in here, but you need to get this, this doctrine of adoption. It's beautiful. This is beautiful. Catch this. In, in the Roman culture, and some of you have heard me say this, but it's, it's good to be reminded of it. In Roman culture, if, if you didn't like your son and you didn't want him to have your inheritance, you could disinherit your biological son. Um, you, you had, you had to, if, if you didn't disinherit him, you had to give him some of your inheritance. You had to pass things down. But if you were disappointed in your biological son, you could disinherit them. But by law, if you then adopted a son and named him heir of your kingdom, then you could not, under any circumstance, disinherit an adopted son. This is why Paul chooses the word adopted here. This is even why we see John tell us that it's not by blood that we are given the right. It's it's not talking about Jesus' blood on the cross, but saying bloodlines. It's not by bloodline that we are children of God. It is by adoption, by the will of God that we are children of God. And not just adoption, but don't miss this, ladies, adoption as sons. If you continue to read, and this is key, the reason I say ladies is if you continue to read in Romans 8, he'll bring up children in general using a word that means daughters and sons, but he says adoption as sons because this, only, this law only applied to adopting sons. But he then says children, including women and men, so we're all adopted in the same way that a son was adopted in Roman culture, given the same inheritance as the other sons that could not ever be revoked. Isn't that beautiful? I much prefer now to be adopted. Adopted by God. Held tightly within his hands in the love of Christ in a way that can never, we can never be taken out of his hands. So listen, child of God, there's nothing you can do to mess this up. Now there's some freedom there and that gets a little scary and, and sometimes we think, man, should you say something like that? Because that may give somebody freedom to go off and do whatever they want. Well, Paul in Romans 6 addresses that and says, you know, by no means. That's not what that means. In, in a sense, it does. In a sense, it does mean you can't, you can't screw this up to the point that he takes it away from you. If you look at the heroes of the faith in Scripture, we see, I mean, our heroes of the faith were screw-ups. You, you realize that, right? Like, when you look at their stories, we see that so many of these guys messed up big time. Not little mess-ups, not like total lie, like cheated on their wives and then killed the guy that, that was married to her. David wrote the Psalms, yet he's a man after God's own heart. Even John the Baptist, who we just saw that Jesus said was greater than any man born of woman, later in his life when he's in prison and thinks he's going to die, and he is going to die, he goes, Jesus, are you, are you it? I mean, because man, I, 
I pretty much gave my entire life to you, and now I'm in prison. So before I give my life, I need to know, are you the guy? Now, Jesus sends an interesting message back to him. He quotes an Old Testament prophecy about people being freed and and, and the, the blind seeing. But you know what he leaves out of the prophecy? And he knows that John knows this prophecy very well. He leaves out the part where prisoners are freed. So he essentially sends word, word back to John the Baptist. Yes, I am the one. But this is the end for you. This is the end. Now listen, this is a side segment, but I feel like I have to hit it anytime I talk about John the Baptist because I think it's key. I think the story of John the Baptist flies right in the face of what people call the prosperity gospel. People like to say that if you love God and, and, and you are faithful to God, that he's going to give you a good life here on earth. That very well may be true for you, but it also very well may not. You may, John the Baptist lived his entire life for Jesus. From, literally from before he was born. And he was beheaded in prison. So you go, well, Jimbo, that's not very encouraging. I wanted to be encouraged this morning. Well, be encouraged by this. Even with the life that John the Baptist lived, it was worth it. Because what did Jesus say about him? I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So it gets a lot better. It's a lot better when we get to go be home with him. And we need to understand our life is not about right now. You don't, listen, you don't want your best life now. You don't want it to be now. If it doesn't get better than this, I've got a pretty good life, but if it doesn't get better than this, that's not very encouraging about heaven, is it? Heaven is far better than what we have going on here. We also see as children of God, we are given this right by God's grace. We, we don't earn the right to be children of God. We are given the right by grace. And as a matter of fact, we're given this while we are enemies against God. This is what blows my mind about the gospel. It's not that we stand before him indifferent. It's that we stand before him actively against him. If you read the, the earlier part of Romans 8, it, it explains that, that we are hostile towards God, that we cannot submit to his law because we are hostile towards him. There is no neutral position on Jesus. When presented with Jesus Christ, we have to decide what we're going to do. Are we going to reject him or are we going to reflect him like John the Baptist does? We are given this right by God's grace. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is beautiful. It's the grace of God. It's the amazing grace. It's the scandalous grace. God forgives in a way that we wouldn't forgive him for forgiving if he were a judge here on earth. I don't know if you, if you caught that. If, if God were a judge here on earth and he were to forgive in the court the way that he forgives in his court, we would disbar him. We would not be accepting of the way that he forgives. That he forgives child molesters, that he forgives drug addicts, that he forgives alcoholics, that he forgives people who cheat, that he forgives adulterers, that he forgives everybody. That he even forgives good church folk. Swallowed up by pride. He forgives us all. If, if we become his children. If we become his children. So what do we do with this? This little light of mine. I, I was... I was uh, teasing with Daniel that I might sing that to you guys. You don't want me to do that. There's only a few people on earth that enjoy my singing. Most of them are deaf. And one of, one of them is my daughter. <laughs> but Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. So that, you, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We either receive him or reject him. We either reject him or we reflect him. Even in the Greek here, when it talks about Jesus being a light, it talks about it in such a way that it's this, uh, the essence of what light is, this living light. In the Greek, there's a lot of power to the word used for light for Jesus, but then there's a different word used for John the Baptist and for us, and it's like a portable light, like a, a lamp. We are a lamp. Now, now, John the Baptist got accused of being the Messiah because he lived and preached and spoke in word and deed in such a way that people were confused and thought maybe he was the Messiah. Wouldn't it be so great if people got confused about you? And never because you claimed it, but because you lived and loved in such a way that they thought, man, there's something supernatural about this person. I mean, there's no way you can forgive the way that person forgives. There's no way you can live and give and be generous and, and, and do the things that this person does. I mean, there's something different about that person. And that's when you get to say, man, I'm like the moon. I'm just a reflection of the sun. That's it. When you see that light coming off of me, man, it's not me. I'm just reflecting it. This is our job. Now, later in John, it talks about those that can't see the light. What do you call somebody that can't see light? Blind. Some people are blind. Here's my challenge to you. If you were being honest with yourself and, and you were to go, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, just, I just don't get it. Like I hear you. I, it sounds good if it were true, but I just, I just don't get it. I want to tell you this. There's no judgment here. Come talk to me. 
listen, if you go, I don't want to walk down and everybody see. And, and my cell phone number is in the bulletin. Call me. Let me buy you a cup of coffee. Let me talk with you. You go, man, I, I'm an atheist. I've been an atheist for, for a long time because I just don't see how there could really be a God with all the bad things that happen in this world. You talk about him being a light in the darkness, but man, it just seems like the darkness envelops us. I would go, man, that's, I think you're right in a lot of ways. There is a lot of darkness. Call me. Let me, let me chat the, this through with you and understand that I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to pressure you. We can talk. But if you are a child of God this morning, are you shining your light? Are you, are you walking like a lamp? Are you living in such a way that people see Jesus shining through you? That's our job. More so than being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good father, being a good mother, being a good worker, being a good friend. More so than any of those things, our job is to be a light to the world. So pray this week. How can you be a light to somebody? And not just go about your life hiding it under a bushel. No. That was supposed to be as funny to me. I don't know. But let's shine our light. 